1: this is fully reliable there is no reason that anyone should not accept it Christ Jesus the Messiah came into the world to save his people from their sins and that is the gospel at its heart
2: Glorious Grace and My Worthlessness. That is an apropos title for today's broadcast of Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner from Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose. Hi there. Welcome to our time together today. We are back in 1 Timothy, chapter 1, verses 12 through 17. Glorious Grace and My Worthlessness. Here's Pastor Gary as we take a look at this amazing contrast here on this edition of Abounding Grace.
1: I don't believe in Jesus in order to get God's grace. I am a dead sinner. There is nothing I could do before God had mercy on me. And I'm never going to have faith in Christ. And I'm never going to have any love for the living God until God's grace transforms my life. And makes me a new person in Christ. For if any man is in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things have passed away. Not will have passed away. Behold, all things become new. So Paul is saying, after my rebellious, ungodly life, God showed me abundant mercy. He put me in his service and made me a minister of the gospel and an apostle. The grace of God was abundantly poured out in the forgiveness of my sins, and it created within me that showed itself in love and the, in the Lord Jesus Christ. Charles Spurgeon, a great Baptist preacher from the last part of the 19th century, wrote a sermon on verse 15. And if you go to Google, you can read it. It is called the entire gospel in one sentence and it is on 1st 1 Timothy 1 and boy does it hit the nail on the head so Paul is expanding now what he means by the gospel explaining clearly so you don't forget what he is saying he says verse 15 it is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners among whom I am foremost of all It is a trustworthy statement. Paul is saying my faith in the gospel rests not upon my emotions, not upon what I think about something, not upon the majority opinion of the people of the world, but what I believe about the gospel rests upon a reliable statement by God himself through the mouth of the apostle that is testified to by the church In every age. And people have shed blood to testify to this verse. My faith rests on this declaration of God. And not on any emotional state in me, he says. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. It is worthy of full acceptance. There is no reason not to accept this. Don't give it a bare acceptance, beloved. Commit your whole life to it. Bring your whole heart to it. There's no reason whatsoever to question it. It is, a worthy, it is worthy of acceptance and of the belief of everyone in the whole wide world. And there is absolutely no reason for not believing the gospel. And if you wait until judgment day and you don't believe and you stand before God and you try to give an excuse as to why you didn't believe the gospel, see what he does. I had a young PhD student tell me one time, you know, I'd I'd love to be a Christian. But believing the gospel is just too hard. I have so many honest questions. I told him he didn't have... Any honest questions. For what you do in faith is surrender. You don't question. And you're just not willing to surrender, my friend. So don't say anything to me about honest questions. This is fully reliable. There is no reason that anyone should not accept it Christ Jesus, the Messiah, came into the world to save his people from their sins. And that is the gospel at its heart. Now let's look at a couple of these words. Christ Jesus came into the world. And there is a world of hurt in these few words. What did it take for Christ Jesus to come into the world? To be incarnate. To be conceived miraculously in a virgin's womb. To take upon himself human nature. Become a real human being. Suffer the rejection of his creation throughout 30 years of his life on earth. Be nailed to a cross. Rejected by his people. Buried in a grave. That is what it meant. For him to come into the world. It doesn't mean he just came into the world. That he just changed from location in heaven to location on this earth. He not only changed locations, but when he came into this world, he changed conditions. He changed from the condition of exaltation to humiliation as he took the place of us sinners and was humiliated in their place. The word world, as it means in most places in the New Testament, doesn't mean the mountains and the trees and the lakes. It means mankind in rebellion against God. It means corrupt, sinful, rebellious mankind that does not believe in God and cannot save itself. It's interesting that in Greek it says that Christ came into the world sinners to save. So it puts together here the world and sinners as belonging together. And Christ entered into this ungodly human society and took upon himself frail human fate flesh To save sinners. The phrase to save. There is a negative and positive side to the word save. In fact, that's really a big word in scripture. Study it through the New Testament sometime. For saved means Christ came to forgive us in our sins. That we're keeping keeping us from God. It means to save. To save means he came to save us from hell that we deserve. To save means he came to save us from the punishment that our sins deserve because we have broken God's law. The positive side is he came to save us by bringing us into fellowship with God. And to establish a relationship with him that satisfies the deepest needs and longings of the human heart. He came to save us by bringing us into a state of blessedness. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of who I am chief. He's here calling himself a sinner. Now remember what Paul was before he became a Christian. Paul was a Pharisee. He was of the strictest branch of the old legalistic Jewish church. And a Pharisee was someone who believed that there were two kinds of people on this earth. Righteous people, i.e. the Pharisees. And then everyone else. Everyone else was a sinner. But not us. We're righteous. So they were not allowed to eat with sinners. They were not allowed to associate with sinners. They were to stay aloof. They created rituals like the washing of their hands. When they came back from the marketplace. From mingling with the common people. And they did it to let others know. They were different. We are righteous and you are filthy. Do you remember the Pharisee and the publican praying? This Pharisee prayed and it says in the gospels, in an attempt to justify himself before God. Now is that ever a statement? In an attempt to justify himself before God. And the Pharisee said, I'm certainly glad I'm not like everyone else. I'm not like these sinners. I'm better than they are. I'm more religious. I'm more righteous. I'm more moral. Remember what the publican said? He didn't say, God be merciful to me, a sinner. Actually, what he said in Greek was, God propitiated me, the sinner. In other words, as far as I'm concerned, I'm the only sinner in the world. And I pray that you will do what is necessary to provide a propitiation to turn away your wrath from me, the sinner. And God heard him. And now Paul is saying, Jesus didn't come to save righteous people as defined by the Pharisees. Jesus came to save sinners like me. And before you can be saved, you must confess from the heart that you are not righteous. That any righteousness you perform in your life is as filthy rags. I think most popular view of salvation in America, and I've been told this by on many occasions, many say when I die, I believe as God is going to weigh the good and the bad we've done on the scales and He's going to put all the bad things we've done on one side of the scale and he'll put all the good things we've done on the other side of the scale and whichever is heaviest, that's where I'll stand with God. And generally they'll say, well, I think I'm a pretty good guy and I've done more good things than bad, I'm sure. And then you have to tell them, guess what? There is nothing on the good side at all everything you have ever done is on the bad deed side and all your supposed righteousness is as filthy rags and there is none that does good no not one that no not one is very important because people say I know there's at least one good person in this world that's done good And that's my grandma. And Jesus says, no, not one. So Paul says, you have to recognize that you are a sinner. The law has to break you down and convict you as you compare yourself to it. And it must drive you to your knees and rip through your heart and soul like a sword to bring you to humility and submission before your only hope the Lord Jesus Christ. So when Paul called himself a sinner, that was a big deal. That is telling you how much Paul had changed and how much the gospel had changed Paul. Paul would never have said that if Christ had not confronted him on the road to Damascus and changed his heart. Paul would still be complaining in hell today, saying that God is unjust to send me to such a place if God had not changed his heart. Now, let me tell you how convicted Paul was about this. He says, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, among whom, that is, the sinners that Christ came into the world to save. I am the chief. I am foremost of all. But in Greek, it is far more emphatic. Paul says, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, the foremost of whom am I. So the last word of the sentence is I, I am, am I. Now let me give you one of the few Greek lessons that I know. Just like other foreign languages, the phrase I am, when you use it in an ordinary speech, can be one short little word like I'm. But if you want to emphasize talking about yourself, you use two words in the Greek, ego, ami." Ego is I, egotistical. And to me is one. Like Jesus said, I am the door. I am the bread of life. Emphasizing that he and he alone is the bread of life. So what Paul is saying here, he doesn't use the ordinary everyday word I am. He says, among which sinners, the chief of, of whom am I, even me. Now he's not saying that he was the chief of sinners before he was saved. Understand that. He's not saying he was the chief of sinners when he was a Pharisee and persecuted and blasphemed and all of that. Because it is, I am. It is not past tense. It is talking about himself as a Holy Spirit inspired apostle chosen by Christ himself. And he's saying to this very day, I remain a sinner. I'm a sinner to this very day. I'm saved. God has changed my life, but I am a sinner to this very day, and God hates my sin. He saith, He hates my sin more than He hates the sin of the Pharisees and such people as that. And I would go to hell today for the sins I've committed this very day if it were not for the fact that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And He saves all kinds of sinners. People who have been filthy sinners for a long time, even all their life. People who are tremendously wicked in love with their wickedness. Fraud, blasphemers, thieves, murderers, adulterers, harlots, perverts. God came into the world to save all kinds of sinners. Even those as evil as Paul, among whom I am the chief. Me. Me. Why did he choose me to be an apostle? Why did he choose me to be a minister? Why did he choose me to be saved, to have my sins forgiven and escape hell, and to be adopted into his family? What do you think was the answer Paul gave? Well, there's only one answer. It wasn't because Paul was worth it. It wasn't because you and I are worth it. It wasn't because there was something in us that God needed to complete himself. God chose us and saved us in Christ for his glory so that throughout all eternity, all you will do is praise him for that very fact. Why didn't he choose everyone? Like R.C. Sproul has said, uh, in fact, I said here one time, but he said it time and again, Why did he choose anyone? No one deserves it. He doesn't choose everyone. It is so that throughout all eternity, you and I will not only praise him for his grace and love and mercy, but we will praise him for his justice and his holiness. You will praise him because he knows how to save sinners, and we will praise him because God knows how to damn sinners to get what they deserve. Why didn't he damn me? Paul never got over that. He knew he deserved it. But he chose me because of his grace and his love and his mercy and to glorify himself in my life. So there, as Persian said, it's the gospel in one sentence. It is a trustworthy statement. Deserving all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into this world to save sinners, the foremost of whom am I. Verse 16. And for this reason I found mercy in order that in me, as the foremost of sinners, Jesus Christ might demonstrate his perfect patience as an example of those who would believe in him for eternal life. So Paul is saying, why did he save me? Why did I receive mercy in his sight as the foremost of sinners? so that the world would see how patient Jesus is. That's the basic reason. Because if they look at my life, at all the Christians that I had thrown in jail and tortured and killed, they'd say, wow, Jesus must really be patient not to have poured out his wrath on Paul. And if he didn't pour out his wrath on Paul, he will not pour his wrath out on you. If you believe in Jesus unto eternal life. Then all that is left for Paul to do is to break out in praise. And that's what the gospel of sovereign grace does to you and I. You take your eyes off of yourself. And all you want to do is praise the Lord for what he did for you. When you didn't deserve any of it. So in verse 17, he says, now I can't help but to burst out in praise. Now to the king eternal or of the ages, the sovereign who controls every coming and going of every age in the history of the universe, immortal, invisible, unchanging, to the only God. There is no other God. In the King James, I believe it says the only wise God. Why? Because all the other gods that man worships are... Stupid. There is one wise God and that is the God of the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul says, this is all I can do. To him be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. May his name be praised and may I praise his name throughout all eternity because I most certainly do not deserve anything that he has done for me. Now let me give you a couple of Practical applications. I want you to listen close to this. Especially you men. When you have problems with your spouse. Either your wife or your husband. Let me tell you how to avoid many of your serious problems with one another. And how to keep them from getting worse. Assume. That you. Are the chief of sinners. Not your wife. Yeah, but you don't know my wife. Well, assume you are the chief of sinners, not your wife. With all of your imperfections and all of your wife's imperfections, assume you are the biggest problem. And and I assure you, that will at least cause things to calm down. Secondly, a lot of Christians don't know how to witness to unbelievers. They think that it's a, more difficult than it really is. You know, I've never even taught a class on evangelism because I don't believe it's, the, it's that difficult to evangelize and witness to someone about becoming a Christian. You don't have to tell them everything in Hodges' systematic theology. You do what Paul did in verses 12 through 17. You tell the person what you have become, what you were, and what made the difference. Do you know what I am? I'm a sinner. And I don't have any righteousness to claim at all. If Christ Jesus had not come into this world and suffered and died for me, I would be lost throughout all eternity. But I am saved. I am in a right relationship with God because God has changed my attitude about myself. And now I see myself as a sinner. And He has changed my attitude toward Him. And then you say, Do you know what is amazing about that? Let me tell you what I used to be. I used to be a persecutor, an oppressor, angry, immoral, untrustworthy, blasphemous, a liar. That is what I used to be. I'm certainly not perfect yet. I'm not what I ought to be. I'm not what God wants me to be. I'm not what I'm going to be when I arise in his likeness. But praise God, I am not what I was. And do you know what the difference is? God's mercy and God's grace. Not because of anything I did or any decision I made. It is because God looked upon me, this undeserving sinner with mercy, and saved me in spite of my sin. Here is what I am. Here is what I was. Here is what made the difference. It doesn't have to be some long theological treatise. Then as you are saying things like this, be praying, Lord, no matter how clear I make this, no matter how sincere I do this, I can't change this person's heart. I can't get him to believe. So I pray that you will use my words And my testimony, as feeble as they are, to save this person that doesn't deserve to be saved. And remember, if God saved you, He can save anyone.
2: You're also welcome to visit our website, drop us an email when you do, reformedheritage.org. Real simple, reformedheritage.org. A lot of information there about who we are. We would invite you again to stop by, reformedheritage.org. Or if you're writing to us, the address is PMB, Post Mailbox, 402, and the address is 1484 Pollard Road, Los Gatos, California,